Hello and welcome to the last Home and Away episode of The Fox Hunt, Vixens by the Numbers, your deep dive into all the numbers that matter to Super Netball side, the Melbourne Vixens. The Fox Hunt is brought to you by Deakin, home to the world's number one sports science school. I'm Erin Delahunty, a freelance netball journalist. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I'm on today. I'm coming to you from Echuca in Victoria, the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Hopefully with the home and away season now done and dusted, you all know this is a stats-based podcast about blending the feel of what happens on the Super Netball Court with the cold, hard statistics. Every week, I'm joined by Dr. Aaron Fox from Deakin to analyse the Melbourne Vixens' most recent performance. Aaron is a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods and a sports data and visualisation guru. And right now, we're going to take a look at the Vixens' last game of the regular season, a two-goal win. Yes, it was a win, Vixens fans, over Collingwood on Monday afternoon. Here's Aaron, who's coming to us from Wadawurrung land. Good morning, Aaron. Morning, Aaron. Probably one of the closest finishes to a season in any sport for a final spot. And it was kind of fitting that it was the last game for the weekend, right, to have that um, just the way the season ended there with that final shot from Kumwenda and the Magpies scraping in by 0.19% to that top four spot. Uh, but we're all about the Vixens here, right? Who managed a two-win buffer at the top of the ladder. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing to think the entire season for two teams anyway came down to one super shot by Kumwenda. And her, as you said, her miss, of course, meant the Pies, not the New South Wales Swifts, made the finals based on percentage. I mean, it was kind of a stats nerd heaven. That game was just madness. But let's get down to it we're, as you said we're here to talk about the the vixens and it was their win over collingwood so they went into this clash without their coach nicole richardson and players ash brazel jody ann ward and maggie lind under the covid protocols they had a pretty handy fill-in though in commonwealth and world champion renee ingles herself a proud vixen in the past so while the Vixens had the minor premiership and home semi-final already locked away before this match, it was, as the cliche goes, do or die for Collingwood, who had to win or just lose to nab that last place in the Super Netball Finals. It was a really tight opening few minutes with both sides wrestling for momentum. The Pies capitalised on some early missed opportunities before Emily Mannix imposed herself on Shimona Nelson. Kira Austin and Liz Watson were influential and the Vixens went into the first break two up. The intensity really increased in the second and it felt like Austin took just about every second pass. Kumwenda came to life, combating the physicality of Jeeva Mentor and the Vixens pulled away to a five-goal lead at halftime and I think Vixens fans were probably pretty comfortable. Rani Samerson, back from a knee injury, entered at goal shooter in the third and the Vixens managed to push out to a really comfortable 10-goal lead but the Pies wouldn't lie down and they clawed their way back into the contest. In the last quarter, Liz Watson went to centre, Hannah Mundy came on at wing attack and it was real hard in your mouth stuff as the Pies fought for their season and the Vixens, it seemed, just tried to hang on. Then, of course, there was Kamwenda's iconic super shot attempt that missed and we saw the emotional reaction from the Pies as they realised they would be playing finals in place of the Swifts. But as to the actual game, what key numbers grabbed your attention, Aaron? Well, based on that rundown, Aaron, there's a lot going on in this game. <laughs> but it was a pretty even game overall statistically when you look at, you know, across the, the four quarters. Um, not a lot of difference between the teams and that, I guess, is reflected in the, mm. the close result. 
The Vixens were on top in this match with deflections being 13 for themselves and nine for the Magpies. What was interesting from these though was that the Magpies only took one gain from these nine deflections, whereas the Vixens took three from 13. So still both pretty low numbers coming from those tips and deflections for both teams. The Vixens, as usual, were on top in that gains statistic with mm-hmm. 10 to the Magpies five. And then when we start looking down to that third and fourth quarter, um, it was a little bit hard to tell where the Magpies actually generated that comeback from towards the end of the match. But I think it likely stemmed from converting gains and turnovers. When we look at their gain to goal rate for the Vixens in that fourth quarter, they're actually at 0%. Mm. So didn't actually convert any of their gains in the last quarter to goals, whereas the Magpies were at 100%. And then if we look at general play turnovers, the Vixens goal rate from them was 25% to 60% for the Magpies. So both teams towards the end of the game generated similar gains and turnovers from their opposition. But for once, we actually saw the Vixens lacking inefficiency mm. in that area mm. uh, and and the last one here i have a fun stat for the game for you uh and, and a potential riddle from this Aaron. <laughs> so both teams had the exact same number of shots on goal they made the exact same number of goals and by the the, the math that comes from that they missed the same amount of goals so how did the vixens actually win just through pure heart is that possible is that measurable uh yeah we could go with that or we could look at you know some goals are worth more than of others course. these days hey look you know how i feel about talking about the super shot Aaron. we've talked about this let's, off let's air go, let's let's get past that for now, <laughs> well and, and as you just mentioned then that 100 percent conversion rate in the last you know obviously for collingwood was really key as well that i mean their desperation was you know all jokes aside it really was something to behold but it was their ability to make it count that was really impressive I thought we've talked previously about that physicality that the Pies brought in their win over the Vixens earlier this season and to me that was on display again in this game Collingwood copped a huge number of penalties and there was a big discrepancy with how many compared to the Vixens they picked up so 81 to 65 in in total so the Pies had nearly you know 22 percent more overall and as part of that I know a heap more contacts too I mean, are you proud of me firstly? I did some maths, Aaron. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not going to check on the percentage for you. I'm um, not going to do that in my head, but the overall numbers you've got there were correct. Yep. And if you just look at the obstruction penalties, they were um, 11 to 8 with more for the Magpies, and it really was the contact penalties mm-hmm. that made the difference here with the Magpies recording 70 to the Vixens 57. And this, as you mentioned, was something we saw in the last game that the Magpies managed to win. And we kind of theorized that this physicality mm. was actually what kind of got them on top. Um, and, you know, it obviously didn't work out this time, but still seemingly something that they wanted to try again. Uh, the small difference in contact penalties was actually across the first and second quarter. There, there wasn't a big disparity in contact penalties in that first half, and it really mm-hmm. blew out in the third quarter mm-hmm. with the Magpies having 24 contact penalties to the Vixens' 15. And, you know, early on in this quarter was where the Vixens really took control and got out in front. So it may have been a part in that lead blowing out at yeah. that point in the game. Yeah, I mean, I do think there is a correlation between that high contact count in the third and the Vixens being able to pull away. I mean, it's a lot easier uh, to get the ball where you want it to be when your opponent is is standing out of play. Now, it's time for 
Watson Watch. Liz, who of course this week was named in the Australian Diamonds team for the Birmingham Commonwealth Games, along with her fellow Vixens, Joe Weston, Kira Austin and Kate Maloney, and we must say Collingwood's Ash Brazzle as well. So Liz played three quarters at home in wing attack before Simone McInnes switched her to centre in the last quarter. She seemed much much less effective in the last, would I be right? Well, let's we'll take a look at her overall game first because I still think uh, Liz had a pretty good game. Um, we know we'll call it an average game for her <laughs> standards where she had 43 feeds. 32 of those feeds came with the shot attempts and that led to 29 goal assists. She actually had her lowest turnover game over the last five rounds and didn't throw an intercept pass across the entire match. Okay. As you've alluded to, they were pretty baffling last quarter looking at her numbers where she had seven feeds and only four of those came with an attempt, um, which is surprising given she had 43 feeds for the match. And only two of those 29 goal assists for the match came in the last quarter. And when we look at that overall net points statistic, she had only seven and a half in the fourth quarter, whereas she had 20 plus from the other quarters. And so this is really something that we're not used to seeing from Liz Watson. Yeah, baffling is a great way to put it, but I guess when you only score 10 goals for the quarter as the Vixens did in the last, it it does kind of make sense. As I mentioned at the top, the Pies had the super sub to end all super subs in Renee Ingalls, who replaced elevated training partner Casey Adamson in the second quarter. I didn't think that Casey looked too overwhelmed, especially in the first. She did some good things, but she did start to make mistakes and Ingalls was a lot cleaner I think to me do the stats reflect that too Aaron I think that's a pretty good assessment so Adamson you started to have a couple of turnovers in the second quarter Mm. um, and this might have sort of caused a need for a change Um, Ingalls had no turnovers for the game Um, and Adamson also had six contact penalties in the first quarter alone whereas Ingalls had six for the entire game so a bit of a discrepancy in those turnover and contact penalty stats which you start to look at sort of cleanliness from players there Um, but other than that like very few things showed up on the stat sheet for either (laughs) player and this is pretty standard behavior for wing defense (laughs) Yes, it is. I mean, just six contacts in, I think she was on court for nearly 40 minutes at wing defence when you haven't played an elite game of netball since 2019. She had one run in the VNL for the Casey Demons. I reckon that's a pretty decent return for for Ingalls. And I have to say it was, I've been speaking to some people that were at the game and um, they were telling me that both Vixens and Pies fans really acknowledged Renee as she entered John Kane Arena too. So the Victorian love was well and truly flowing, even though obviously it must have hurt some Vixens fans to see Renee in the black and white colours. Now, I'm keen to dig into the gain-to-goal rate in this game. The Vixens sat at just 60% at this, for this game, while the Pies were at 80%. This felt like a bit of a role reversal to what we've seen from these two sides this year. It's definitely not what we expect from the Vixens. If we look across the regular season matches, eight of those 14 games, they've had a gain to goal rate of 70% or greater. So yeah, 60% right. we saw this game, not uh, in the majority of what we usually see from them. How, wasn't their lowest gain to goal rate for the season though? In round one, they had 50% in a win against the Firebirds. Uh, but in round five, that kind of shock loss to the mm. Lightning, they were at 33%. So it definitely has been one of those barometers for them and could have been a reason why they lost this game, but they just managed to get over the line. Yep. It was definitely a tale of two halves though with this statistic. The Vixens gain to goal rate was 
kind of where we expect it in yep. the first and second quarters at 100% and 80%. And then it dropped to 33% in the third quarter and 0% in the fourth quarter. Um, so a bit of a progressive decline as the game went on and probably something I want to fix up before finals. Ouch. We don't often hear 0% and the Vixens in the same sentence, do we, Aaron? So, I mean, it does go a long way to explaining what happened in that last sort of frantic quarter. Now, the next game, of course, is the major semi-final against the mighty West Coast Fever at John Kane Arena on Saturday night, when finally, I believe, we're both going to be at a live game. The winner of this match goes straight into the Super Netball Grand Final, which, as we know, is to be played at RAC Arena, Fever's home court, on Sunday, July 3. The loser will go through to a preliminary final, which depending on who it is, will be on their home court. So potentially back at John Kane Arena or RAC Arena. So the Vixens have beaten Fever not once but twice this season, once in Melbourne by nine goals back in round four and then more recently in Perth in round 10 when the Vixens won after really jumping the Fever early and leading by nine goals at quarter time. What is the data telling us about this matchup, Aaron? I'm a bit of a broken record on the fever. <laughs> um, and it's really their scoring that jumps out versus yeah. every other team. Only one game in their last seven, they've scored less than 65. That happened to be against the Vixens. And the Vixens have been one of the teams that's been effective in holding the fever scoring back across the year. Uh, of those last seven games, four of those have included scoring greater than 70. So they really are pushing the scoring up in towards the end of the season. Um, but the same thing kind of still goes, as we've said a couple of times with the fever this year, you keep them under that 65 or around that 65 mark and you're starting to get in the box seat. We also often talk about the Vixens being a clean team penalty wise. Uh, and that's something we've come to expect from them, but the fever actually average a few less penalties per game than the Vixens. And wasn't necessarily something I expected to see from yeah. them. And that includes a couple of less contact penalties per game for the fever too. Looking at how those contact penalties fluctuated across the year, they actually rose a little bit mid season from where they're at early in the season but have started to come back down towards the end of the season. So they're sort of cleaning up in that area and something to keep an eye out for in the game on the weekend. Yeah, I'll have to keep a really close eye on that. All I know is hopefully it's going to be an absolute belter of a game. Now, it's time for Fox Answers the Fans, where we ask our loyal fox hunters to stump Aaron with a statistical question. And now I'm back in country. I've taken control again and given this segment back to the fans after Aaron so rudely asked his own question last episode. Just, it was a good question. It was a great question. Uh, Aaron did a call out for end of season queries on the Bird app and we got so many great replies, but a theme quickly emerged and it was around our beloved game to goal rate and particularly how this could have impacted team results with a keen eye on the Adelaide Thunderbirds and their hardworking defence end. So Oracle, what says you? Yeah, I think uh, the last couple of rounds of the season really got people paying attention to this stat <laughs> yes. and the Thunderbirds and starting to feel pretty bad about it. Tears will do that. And Tears I, after a game will do that. <laughs> yeah. Unsurprisingly, the Thunderbirds were last in this game-to-goal rate statistic at about 58.4% per game. And we contrast that to the Vixens, who we talk about a lot with this. They were number one for this statistic at about 71% per game. Mm -hmm. 
Now, if you look at the top four in this gain to goal rate statistic, it was the Vixens, the Magpies, the Fever, and the Giants. And do those four teams mm. sound familiar, Erin? Mm, interesting that we might see those in action in finals this weekend. Mm, I was very, well, not so surprised, but it was interesting how well that kind of related Alliance. to the, the top four in the end, even in a season so close. Uh, but despite being last in the gain-to-goal percentage statistic, the Thunderbirds still averaged the highest absolute goals from gains at 10 per match, with the Vixens sitting number two of this uh, at 9.4 per match. So what do you mean by absolute goals from gains? If we ignore the conversion rate of how many gains a team gets and we just look at the total number that they score coming from gains, this is what we mean by absolute. And so the Thunderbirds, despite having a quite low percentage for gain-to-goal rate, they still scored the most goals from gains overall. Um, so they were you know, number one in the statistic. It's just that they probably should have scored more given how many gains they get mm -hmm. in a match. Mm -hmm. So it, it is somewhat incredible to think that the Thunderbirds can be at the top and the bottom of these respective stats, but it is due to the fact that they average 17.2 gains per match, and that's number one for that statistic as well. Mm -hmm. And that's way out ahead of the number two ranked Vixens at 12.9 gains per game. So... I mean, you can just feel that notion that if they fixed up that conversion rate from those gains, that they'd be right at the top of the table with the Vixens. Ouch, that still stings, even when the season is over for the T-Birds. Now, the second question comes from Twitter user Jasmine, who lives in the UK, who wants to know, in teams where there are a number of shooting combinations are used, which combination is best for goals scored uh, and gains at scaled by minutes played. You got that? <laughs> Yasmin's especially interested in the New South Wales Swifts as well. Yep, I, I did get that. And <laughs> I decided to focus on the goals scored and look at these goal shooter, goal attack shooting combos uh, across the season. So I thought we'd sort of limit this to combos that had played at least 15 minutes sure. together across the season. Mm -hmm. And this led to 32 goal shooter slash goal attack combos. If we just look at overall scoring, so not scaling it in any way, mm -hmm. Joe Harton and Sophie Dwyer were top with 804 goals. Mm -hmm. And looking down to our Vixens, Kumwenda and Kira Austin were at number four with 739 goals, so not far off. Mm -hmm. And the Swifts combos of Sophie Fawns and Helen Housby at goal shooter and goal attack, and then Helen Housby and Kelly Singleton at goal shooter and goal attack, respectively, were ranked number seven and number eight for yeah, total so goals. So sort of same, same. Down the list. Yep. Yeah, sort of similar number of total goals scored. If we look at this in terms of scoring rate, I calculated a per 60 minute scoring, so a theoretical number of what you'd see if a combination played an entire match together. Mm -hmm. Number one in this was Mia Stauer and Gretel Buetta at 76 goals per 60 minutes. Number two was Steph Wood and Riley Batcheldor at 76 goals per 60 minutes. And our best Vixens combo was Kumwenda and Samerson at number five with 67 goals per 60 minutes. So Thinking about these players, you're <laughs> sensing a pattern with these combos and how fast they score and when they might be playing together. <laughs> Aaron, it's, it's interesting. It is interesting to think that there Sorry. is there is obviously a super shot specialist in there, but how does that potentially change the way that they play across that theoretical 60 minutes, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not going to get in. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up. 
but I am guessing that <laughs> just look at these players, I would suspect that the times that they're playing together on court mm-hmm. is probably what's inflating um, these scoring rates. But we won't go back to that. <laughs> Going back to the look at the New South Wales Swifts, their best combo for scoring rate was Kelly Singleton at goal shooter and Helen Housby at goal attack. But they were actually ranked number 12 at 64 goals per 60 minutes. So not the, the greatest scoring rate for the Swifts. And I think if you looked at their results across the year, that's not unexpected mm. that they have been maybe one of the lower scoring teams in certain games. Mm. Now, before I ask Aaron for his performance prediction for this weekend's big final, let's first check how he went in the Pies game. You focused on Collingwood's unforced turnovers. Uh, You said how many they had would be sort of sink or swim with respect to going over or below their average unforced turnovers of 12 and a half. So... You could argue that they both sank and swam in this match, you know, <laughs> losing but still making finals. Um, but we'll look at the fact that they lost and they did actually record 15 unforced turnovers, okay. higher than their average 12.5 for this and their highest since round five. So I'm going to count this one, even though I sat on the fence a little bit with the prediction, I'm going to count it as a win. <laughs> look, that's absolutely a win, strictly statistically speaking, so you can take it. But I think a little like the result itself, the feel really did win the day over the real in this match. Um, but what have you got ahead of me of of the semi, got for me for the semi final? Unsurprisingly, I'm going back to an old favourite here <laughs> and that the Vixens yes. will keep the Fevers scoring between 60 and 65, which is what I've said for every Fever versus Vixens <laughs> matchup. And I'm at a 50% hit rate on this one so far. So this is maybe going to be the deciding. Deciding, one. yep. Uh, I will add that the Fever have had 17 and 18 general play turnovers in the matchups against the Vixens this year, but they have had 20 plus of these turnovers in two of their last three games. And I think if the Vixens are back at their defensive best, that they can force another 20 plus turnover game here against the Fever in front of a loud home crowd, which as you alluded to earlier, (laughs) may be the first time the crowd features both of us together. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but we know the defense wins championships, right? So how many turnovers they can force, I think, yeah, is going to be, Central. It does feel fitting that we've circled back to turnovers for this important match, Aaron. We've discussed them so much so far this season and can't wait to be courtside with you on Saturday night. Now, that's all we have time for today, but we're excited to announce that the Fox Hunt will continue into the finals. So please keep in touch with us via your favourite social media platform using hashtag the Fox Hunt pod as we follow the Melbourne Vixens on their finals quest. Thank you for joining us.